The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. So Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. With him I am well pleased. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them saying, get up, do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about this vision until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. You, you may be seated. Let us pray. Holy God, open our eyes that we may see glimpses of truth you have for we. Place in our hands the wonderful key that shall unlock and set us free. Silently now on bended knee, ready we wait your will to see. Open our eyes, illumine we, Spirit divine. Amen. So for the past several weeks, we have been hearing from Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. From there, from that sermon, the disciples witnessed Jesus do truly amazing, incredible, wonderful things. He, he healed and fed crowds. He walked on water. He cast a vision for the world that gave his followers faith, a vision that gave them hope. It made them want to follow him anywhere. And then... Jesus did something that threw his closest disciples for a bit of a loop. He told them that soon he would fail. At least that's, that's how they heard it. He told them that all of the hope they placed in him as their Savior, the Christ, as Peter called him, that all of that would wind up with him being arrested in Jerusalem, 
suffering at the hands of the powers that be, and being publicly executed. The disciples, and Peter in particular, they could simply not fathom this. They could not understand what he was talking about. Peter knew that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed king of Israel. So how could he die before even taking power? So Peter tried to talk some sense into his Lord, telling Jesus that such a thing could never happen to him, simply couldn't happen. Jesus took great offense at Peter. He called Peter Satan. He told him that he was a hindrance to him. He told him to fall in line. Specifically, he said, get behind me, Satan. Such is life and friendship with its hilltops and its valleys. Jesus and the disciples were clearly not on the same page. There was a deep misunderstanding about where the way of Jesus was leading. Peter and the other disciples had left everything to follow Jesus. They were headed to Jerusalem. The kingdom of God was at hand, according to Jesus. But now Jesus tells them, as they get closer to the city, that if they are truly set on following him, they must be prepared for his suffering. They must be prepared for his death. They must prepare to deny themselves, take up their own crosses, lose their own lives. So much for the cabinet positions in his royal administration that they had been dreaming about, vying for. To some who, like Peter, had their minds on human things, Jesus' news sounds like he is telling them that they are on a doomed mission path ahead is leading to Jerusalem, but it's not headed to the throne, it's headed to death row. So, it is time for another trip up the mountain to get some perspective on things, which is what we find in today's scripture reading. This new perspective we have come to call the transfiguration of the Lord. This mountain climb was in a region called Caesarea Philippi. It was a rocky, hilly region with a mountain called Hermon, which local Jewish Christian lore claimed to be a bit of a stairway into heaven. Considering what happened to Jesus and to Peter and James and John on that mountain, there is good reason to see that it is perhaps some kind of pathway from the stuff of this world to the stuff of the holy. Jesus took with him his closest disciples up a high mountain after their greatest conflict. Jesus told them that he was going to suffer and die soon. He called his closest disciple the devil. He told them that they would all suffer and that their souls were at stake. It was a pretty shocking moment for them. Jesus had been offended. Peter was offended. I'm guessing the rest of them were in various stages of distress. Six days had passed since that blow-up. Was that enough time, do you think, 
for them to start to speak again? Is that enough time for them to maybe make eye contact again, grumble, some kind of greeting? Maybe they had started to mumble a good morning as they met in the coffee pot before dawn's early light. Maybe a stray smile cracked at a silly joke. Arms started to knock together again as they took their long walks. Fingers brushed together as they reached for bread. Six days had passed. Hearts were thawing, but things were not back to normal between Jesus and the disciples. Things would never be as they were. The specter of death had entered the scene, and it came with a familiar aching that taints what is good and beautiful in the present with the fear that it can all be lost. And Jesus felt it too. But he understood a particular hope overshadowed that fear of pain and loss, that dread of separation, the shadow of death. But his disciples did not yet see what he saw, and a rift had formed among them, which called for his healing. So that morning, Jesus made the first move, waking his closest followers before the sun's light appeared on the hill. Jesus always makes the first move to reconcile and to forgive and to love. He had something that he wanted his disciples to see, for us all to see. So Jesus set out, and they followed. And that is a good sign that they followed, silently taking proverbial crosses upon their backs, not knowing what it all meant. They began the hike up the high mountain as the sun climbed along with them. I suspect there was not much chit-chat, just the sound of rocks underfoot. And as they crested the hill, Peter drew a breath to make an idle comment about the view, when suddenly that breath came out as a gasp. <gasps> and they were struck by a brightness that outshined even the sun. They turned their eyes and they tried, as their eyes tried to adjust for the light and they searched for its source. And it was Jesus. The light was beaming from his face. His dusty clothes had become a dazzling white. He was transfigured before them. In the shock and the awe of this moment, hurt feelings and bruised egos were overshadowed. The mountain peak scraped the gates of heaven and out tumbled two of the greatest Hebrew prophets, Moses and Elijah, long dead, and they chatted with the dazzling Jesus. No further explanation of why or what was said, no teaching, no charge, just amazement. Earth was for a moment full of the glory of heaven, and that glory 
shown in Jesus. This mystical scene leaves us with more awe and mystery than understanding. We humans, we are made in the image of our Creator, so there's no surprise that we have a strong willful streak in us, a strong desire to create and to control. We get that from our daddy or mama. But God, we are not. Savior of the world, we are not. Work and strive all we might. We come off a bit like Peter on that holy mountain, willful, grasping for control, for understanding, looking for something to do, full of talk and talk and talk, without even knowing what he is talking about. As beams of light pour out of Jesus' face, Peter grasped for something to say and do. Lord, Lord, it's, it's, good. it's good for us to, to be here. If, if you wish, I can make three huts. You can stay here forever. This cloud stops him in his tracks. And it's not a dark storm cloud. It says it is a bright cloud, an overshadowing cloud. God enters the scene, and finally, Peter stops. This is my son, declares the voice. This is my son. This is the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Finally. Finally, the disciples submit. Perfect submission before God, before Jesus Christ, the beloved Son of God. They fall to the ground, faces buried in trembling hands, overcome by fear. There it is, fear. Fear, it's been there all along. It's been the driving force of it all. Fear is what caused Peter to rebuke Jesus. Fear is what they were feeling when he spoke openly about his suffering and his death and theirs. Fear is what is behind so many of our own feelings and actions. Fear is packed into our prayers. It fuels our activism. It claws at our relationships. It chews at our faith and our hope and our trust. Fear causes us at crucial times to place our faith in God on the shelf. Fear blocks our enjoyment of life with God. Fear creates stumbling blocks for us on a path to better lives. And fear is only human, which is what Jesus takes us up the mountain to see. We are only human. We're only human. And he is God. For us, fear is only natural. But Jesus carries with him in him the full power of God, the creator, the redeemer, and the savior. And fear, when brought before the Lord, who 
brings us to our knees is overshadowed by the bright and powerful goodness of God. We fear. We fear. But we must not let fear keep us from Jesus, for he has the power to heal us. He shines with the full light of heaven. Instead of letting fear drive us to anxious worry or to anger, to defensiveness, God invites us to be silent, to let our weakness and fear and confusion and doubt be outshined, replaced with the awe and the wonder of God, to trust in Jesus, to listen, listen, listen to him. Finally, as Peter and the other disciples lay humbled, faces buried in the dirt and the rock, lost in fear, they are wrapped in God's light, in the power of God's voice, which silenced them with the command to listen to the beloved Son, allows them to finally hear something truly beautiful and awe-inspiring, something that I think we all long to hear. A hand gently touches Peter's trembling body, and a familiar voice says, Come on. Get up. Don't be afraid. And this is transfiguration, beloved. Jesus comes to each of us, and whether it's hardship or humble worship which has brought us to our knees, Jesus comes and touches us and tells us, come on, don't be afraid. Though cross and graves lay ahead, we remember how brightly he shined that day on that mountain. We remember God's word to listen to him. And so we trust. And then together, we get to our feet, lifted by the Lord. We collect ourselves and we head back down the mountain. As the sun begins to set, certain of little more than we were when we went up in the mountain in the first place, except this, that Jesus shines brighter, Jesus shines purer. He is God's Son. He is beloved. We can listen to Him. If He could shine like that in the face of death, well, so will we. He loves you. He's going to take care of you. So don't be afraid. As we make our way back down the mountain to face all that lay ahead as disciples of Jesus Christ, I take great comfort that we are walking together. I take great comfort in what my grandmother used to sing. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, help me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Through the storm, 
through the night. Lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, and lead me home. 